The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including the money and all who live in it. That's me. I'm not even my own. I'm owned by God. If I don't even own myself, how could the money that I get possibly be mine? Thanks for listening to If That Makes Sense, the Family Life original podcast about what life is really like as a Christian in your 20s-ish. I'm Tim. I'm Preston. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Mike. It's it's so cliche now to say things about how 2020 is crazy and stuff, but, but it's interesting just to look at some of the topics we've talked about this year. We've talked about dating. We've talked about politics, anxiety, and we just thought it was a great idea to cap the year off talking about one of the least stressful subjects of all in money. The Bible says a lot about money on what's ours and what we've been given charge of and the concept of stewardship. So I just want to start off by asking each of us if you had to rate yourself on your relationship to money overall, your attachment to it, your wisdom with handling it, if you had to rate yourself somewhere from eh to great, where would you put yourself on that scale and why? Also, you can feel free to use numbers if eh and great are too abstract for you. So when I think about money, I it's, it's interesting because I think I'm actually very good with money and budgeting. Um, but even knowing all of that, I have <laughs> an app to like always get very stressed about it, which is really foolish because I have never... I've, I've never really had an issue with it, you know, like, like something will happen and, you know, I stress about how are we going to pay for this? I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that bill or whatever. And God just always, always has, you know, saved me in those scenarios. So it's interesting because I think that I always stress about it more than I need to. I focus on it more than I need to when the big picture of it is just that I need to let go. I need to trust that it's God's money. God will provide me what I need. He'll make sure that I have what I need at the end of the day. And he's proven that to me again and again and again. It's funny because my whole life this is this has happened, and yet I still question. Oh, every time there's a surprise bill or, you know, something comes up or the house needs fixing, you know, I'm like, oh, no, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. And it's just kind of this funny relationship that I have that, you know, and then every time, you know, a check comes in that I wasn't even expecting or insurance money shows up that I wasn't expecting. And it's, it's just funny. I feel like God kind of has a sense of humor with me about it. <laughs> <laughs> like Lindsay, you remember, this is how this works, right? You remember, this is how this goes. And I was actually just having a conversation with somebody yesterday about that principle that he doesn't let his children go hungry. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't let his children experience need, because we know there are plenty of believers who do wonder where their next meal comes from. But there just seems to be this principle that in the ultimate sense, in the big eternal picture, God's going to provide for you what you need because he knows what you need. And man, in every area of life, the Bible has something to say about that, that God knows what you need here and he's going to provide for what you need according to his wisdom here. 
Lindsay, it's cool to hear you be like, yeah, I'm actually pretty good with this. That's awesome. It's unusual. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I would say for me, I've learned a lot about money in the past year. So I've gone from eh to pretty good and hopefully still climbing. But I get really excited about not necessarily money. Actually, I started off in my notes writing, I love money. And then I scratched it off because I remembered that the Bible says love of money is the root of all evil. So I thought I can't use the L word in this podcast. So I changed it to exciting. Money is really exciting for me, not just having it, but like watching it grow and investing it. And I have a budget and it's probably pretty lame, but I check it almost every day and I check my investments because they're so fun. So... (laughs) Preston and I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't speak for Preston. I'm just feeling like, wow, I'm listening to an adult talk right now. Yeah, I'm like, I just bought a whole bunch of fun things on Monday because it was payday. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Mike. This is where we differ. (laughs) Continue. Yeah, I just, I love doing all those things. And I love, I love helping other people do those things too, because it's really exciting. The, the giving aspect is the place where I'd say I'm weakest and, and God's mm. working on that, working on my heart with that one. But I love it. I love it. It doesn't stress me out at all. Oh, wow. I shouldn't say that because probably now something's going to happen. <laughs> I think um, in contrast to both of you, <laughs> I am very much not good with a budget or planning for anything. And I've gotten better since being in my own apartment, but like, it's still kind of a thing of like, well, I only need to have this much aside for insurance and rent and this and this, and I can spend all this. And like, I've kind of realized over the past several months that like, like my truck, these two guys probably know very well, my truck is not that great. Preston's um, truck is interesting. Probably will not pass our New York State's inspection <laughs> this year. It's um, passed inspection before. It has, twice. <laughs> you can take the probably right out um, of that. I think I see the need to actually start budgeting and actually saving money because right now, like, if that truck blew up on me today, I would have no truck and would have no way of purchasing a new vehicle. <laughs> So after I speak here, I think anybody listening is going to know which half of the four hosts to listen to today. (laughs) Yeah, me, I'm a little more on the eh side. My philosophy with money, if you can call it a philosophy, has been just, I'll try not to spend too much of it. If I need something, I'll get it. If I don't, then I won't. Unless... It's been a while since I've bought myself a toy, and then I figure I need a toy, and I'll do that. Okay, so there are worse ways to deal with your money. You could just buy whatever you want, whenever you want. I'm not there, but the strategy, quote, quote, of I'll just try not to spend too much. There's no structure there. There's there's no strategy there. That's not going to help you in the long term. Your money's not going to work for you. You're just, yeah, you'll have saved. That's good, but save for what? Are you going to know what to allocate where? So um, this is not even fair at all, but I'm really thankful that I have a wife who is way more organized than me. I don't know if she's going to, if it's going to sound like nails on a chalkboard to her when she listens to this podcast, but just tell her to listen to Mike and Lindsay, not Preston and Tim. Oh yeah. Mike's Mike's like our personal financial (laughs) advisor. We pay him with food every now and then. I just had a feeling about this this blend of hosts here. 50-50, this is great. Like we like to do 
in this show. Yeah, we can share from our own experience, but what is the what does the Bible say about these things? None of us are pastors, none of us are Bible teachers, but we're we all have the Holy Spirit in us and we can all read his word. What does the Bible have to say about this huge topic in our lives? The Bible really says a ton. I think it it's all one overlaying theme, which, you know, money is the root of evil. You know, the more that you look to it, trust in it, want it, the more it's actually, I think, going to have a likelihood of corrupting you. There's a lot of verses about that just say whatever you have, give away or, you know, sell your possessions, give what you have to the poor, be content with what you earn. There's definitely a lot to be said about that. Actually, the less that you have, the happier you're going to be. And, you know, I think money really goes hand in hand with possessions and all of these material items, which this day and age is (laughs) a ridiculous amount. You know, it's so easy to want for the new iPhone or to want a new vehicle or to want that nice new decoration for your wall. Like there's just so many things that you can buy, but ultimately, you know, you can buy all of those things, but they're they're not going to buy you happiness and they're not going to get you any closer to heaven. It's just a really easy detour of, you know, what we're really here for. And really, I feel like all the verses that I went through ultimately were were that summed up. The phrase you use there, it's not going to get you any closer to heaven. That one's a, a, a warning for us in a lot of ways, because you're right, if anything, Jesus warns us, it can do the exact opposite. How hard it is for a rich man to find his way into the kingdom of heaven. Not because there's something inherently wrong with being rich, but because God knows our hearts. He knows how possessions can take control of us and can warp our intentions and can warp our passions and our loves and our focus. And the more of it we have, it's that much easier for us to be distracted from the things of heaven to the things of earth and that much easier for us to be tied to a master that isn't God. I think a good place to go would be look at that verse, money is the root of all evil. The full quote, which has actually been said, is for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the verse continues on. The verse, by the way, is 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Yeah, I think that one sometimes gets used as money is bad in and of itself. So don't even have it. Right. Like if you're if you're acquiring it or if you're thinking about it, it's the wrong thing. Well, okay, obviously that can't be the case because we have other examples in scripture where money is used for really good things and where there are rich believers who aren't called out for being rich and they do great things with their money. And I want to share some about some of those that I think are cool examples. But yeah, the caution against that root in our hearts that money can put down when it becomes an object of our primary affection in our hearts, that it springs up all manner of different evils. Actually, in my like looking up of things what the Bible says and everything else, a lot of the verses that talk specifically about money and a lot of them say, do not love money. Like, that's just the synopsis of all of the Bible's verses that say the word money is, do not love money. But almost all of them in the context, maybe not that verse particular, but in the context, 
has something about God will never fail you or his grace is enough for you. He will be there for you regardless of what you have. For example, Hebrews 13, 5 says, Do not love bunny. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? I think a good question to ask is what does it actually mean to be a steward of something? Because we often say we're stewards of money and what what does that mean? And the first time I heard the word steward was in Lord of the Rings with uh, Denethor who was the steward of Gondor. Yeah. He wasn't the king. He was there to make decisions until the king got there. He was entrusted to make the best possible decisions on the king's behalf. And so thinking about us as stewards of money again, I said there's this fundamental shift in our thinking. It's not my money. I'm a steward of God's money. And how does that shift my thinking? I found two verses of scripture that I wanted to read. And oddly enough, neither of them have anything to do with money. But that's why I picked them, and I think it'll make sense once I read them. The first is Psalm 24, 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then the second one is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The context of that one specifically is talking about purity and what we put into our body and what have you. But those together remind me, I'm not even my own. I'm owned by God. So if I'm not even, if I don't even own myself, how could the money that I get possibly be mine? The verse in Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including the money. The money is the Lord's. And all who live in it, that's me, that's everybody. I think the really cool radical shift in my thinking came when I realized that God is not actually a fun sucker like I always thought he was. My thinking was, if I make any money, I'm just going to have to do something boring with it. But that's not how God works. He does ask us to trust him to know how our money should be spent. But the cool thing is the joy that we think we're going to get by having more money and buying more things, God actually says, no, no, you're going to experience the most joy when you do this with it and this, when you give it away, when you give it to the church, when you support this child from this other country. That's where the real joy comes from. Now, I'll still let you have these fun things, maybe some of them. You don't need all of them, but... The joy comes from giving, not from hoarding and buying. Yeah, I about the, the idea of money not being ours and us not even being ours. So I want to share about a parable that I think is one of the least attended to parables of Jesus because it's just weird. It's just downright weird. My Bible calls it the parable of the dishonest manager. Uh, Luke 16, verse 1 through 13 There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? 
since my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus goes on to say something that we're all very familiar with. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And then after that, he says that you can't serve two masters, God and money. Jesus is not saying when he says that the sons of this world are more shrewd than, than the sons of light. He's not saying Christians should be as slick investors as any Wall Street broker. That's probably not what he's saying. What I think he's saying, look, a sneaky person who knows that his window of opportunity is limited would line his pockets for the future by lavishly investing someone else's money while he still had control of it. You believers Know that what is yours is God's anyway, so spend what he's given you lavishly on other people, on generosity, on kingdom work, because after all, it's the boss's credit card anyway, and when it's all said and done, you'll have a reward that far outlives the temporary benefits of possessions. That's actually really helpful for me because I've actually gone through that parable a few times, and like every time I've gone through it, whatever, whoever I'm going through it with, like all of a sudden focuses on the end. Like, you know, you can't serve both God and money. And it's like, I've always thought like, what does the beginning mean though? <laughs> Me too. I <laughs> like, never understood it. I don't understand what is, t- what is happening. And that actually like really helped. Take it, uh, test, test the spirit to see if it's true. It's just the way I understand it. But Jesus is confusing. I also love the example of Matthew. I love the example of Matthew in the New Testament when he gets saved The first thing he does as a tax collector is he has a huge party at his house and invites Jesus over and invites uh, the disciples. And there's also sinners and tax collectors and everybody else there, probably Matthew's old friends. I think that's cool because Jesus isn't like, whoa, 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 Matthew, this isn't, this isn't how we do things. We don't do house parties. We, we, no, no. It's like the first thing he does is have this huge banquet with everybody from all, all these different backgrounds together. One of the really cool things about a budget, some advice that somebody gave me was to have a generosity fund in there. And this is not the same thing as whatever you give to the church or whatever you give on a consistent basis. It's just, it's called generosity fund. And you decide an amount to put in there each month. I put a certain amount in there each month and it's purely to be used to be generous to people. And it's so cool. Most people think a budget is really constricting and doesn't let you have any fun, but it frees you to do things like this. So when there's a person on our staff who's in need of something or 
um, somebody passed away that they were close to and were pitching in to, to buy flowers or to, to make a meal for them. I go to my generosity fund because I have money set aside for that. If I want to have a group of friends over and I want to cook food for them, I have a generosity fund and I look at it and I think, well, I still have all of this money left in here is going to, quote, disappear at the end of the month so I can spend it now. I don't need to worry about hoarding it till next month. And then it's almost like a contest for me. How generous can I be with my money? How can I spend this money in a way that's pleasing to God? I don't need to worry about spending it because I've already set it aside to spend. It's so much fun. And I love it when it involves food because I also get to eat from it, <laughs> but it doesn't come out of my food budget. It comes out of generosity. So if you could change something about your relationship with money, what would it be? One thing I definitely want to try to do better is actually planning stuff. Like we're talking about stewardship as a whole, not just, I mean, money's a huge part of it and it's a huge issue, but like, it's not just money. It's other things, your time, like if you name it, it falls under stewardship because none of it is ours. Just being more intentional about things, like definitely a budget. I've written many and I've never stuck to any of them longer than a month. <laughs> and I keep fooling like, oh, I'll, I'll do better this month. Like, no, I need to make a plan. So maybe I'll talk to Mike about that. Oh, I have some resources for you. <laughs> a heart change I would want to see in myself is that I could do what we've been talking about this whole time, which is not seeing my stuff as mine, my money as mine, my time as mine. Like, I love what you said, Preston. If you can name it, it falls under the category of something you are a steward of, something that does not belong to you because everything belongs to God. I think that's hard for everybody. I look at Hebrews 10.34, a verse that I don't want to be true in my life because it's too uncomfortable. And it says this, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I know I should want to have the heart that will be even joyful at the plundering of my property, since I know I have a better possession in heaven. But whoa, that's radical. That's tough. And that, I don't want that when I read that. So that tells me my first need here is a, is a heart change. I think for me, it's a heart change also. What would it look like if I were more concerned in the growth of the kingdom of God rather than the growth of my funds? I found three statistics that are kind of crazy for me. Crazy is not the right word, but I couldn't think of a word to use. So the first statistic, and this is all in the United States, the, the average giving of Christians in the United States is 2.5%, which seems really, really low. Now, the Old Testament talked about a tithe and 10%, and we know that's not necessarily a mandate for today, but um, maybe a good starting place to, to start practicing giving your first fruits to God. But the average giving of Christians, this is in 2019, is 2.5%, which is actually down from 3.3% during the Great Depression. Let oh. that blow your mind. Oh, People were giving more during the Great Depression than they are today. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm with Tim's uh, pained expression there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so there's the first statistic. Second one, only 10 to 25% of any given congregation give over 10%. So let's say 10% of people give 10% or more, the rest less or none. And then the third, the third statistic is, so, so if 2.5% is the average that a Christian gives, that means the Christians in the United States are giving approximately $100 billion to the church. If every Christian in the United States gave 10%, that would be $400 billion. What sort of kingdom work could we do with that? And I'm thinking, what would it look like if the church did its job so well that the government didn't need to step in to take care of the widows and take care of the orphans? If we actually followed God's mandate and cared for these people, the, the poor, the needy, the marginalized, if the church did that so well, that the government didn't need to step in and do that, how different would that be? How would, how would God's kingdom grow if we were that generous with our money? Mm. That is a really cool thought. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. The statistics thing was, you know, pretty mind-blowing, really. I think that's pretty eye-opening. You know, I see a little bit of that in what I do, you know, because it's my job to go around to businesses and churches and nonprofit organizations and basically knock on their door and say, hey, we're a ministry. We, you know, this is what we do. We we need support. And um, you'd be surprised, mm. <laughs> you know, you know, whether they're Christian or not, you know, for a hundred times that I might reach out to someone or try to start a conversation or whatever, maybe one or two will even return my call or answer the door. I, I don't know. I That kind of ties in with what you were saying in that we as Christians are specifically called to be more giving and more open to these sorts of things. And I don't, uh, I don't always feel that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really know how to summarize it or express it, but you know, it seems like some of the sponsors that we have are, the small mom and pop shops, you know, we see it at share where someone will call and make a huge donation. And we're like, wow, that's, you know, such a blessing that you're able to make this donation. And a lot of times they'll come back and be like, well, I don't really have the money, but uh, I trust that God's going to take care of us. You know, it's like, wow. (laughs) A while back, I was reading Ecclesiastes, just going through the whole book, and I was reminded earlier this week about chapter 5 in the fact that um, if you've read Ecclesiastes, you know, like, the entire time the author is this voice that's always like, so I tried this one thing, and that too was useless. It was like chasing the wind. It was utterly useless. It did not bring happiness. Um, And he goes on and talking about the fruitlessness of doing anything with money that isn't giving it away. There's another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the savior or the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as the day we were born. We cannot take our riches with us. And he keeps going on about how, like, it's useless. Everything is useless because nothing you do with any of your possessions will continue on after you die. The only thing you can do is give it away. Yeah. James 5. James is Jesus' brother, and it shows 
because he talks about money with the same amount of vigorous warning as Jesus does. James says in James 5, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Here's the real clincher, though. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Whoa. If you have kept, yeah, if you've kept what God's given you, hoarded to yourself so that it's accumulating rust and getting eaten by moths, like you said, Preston, when you die, that's all gone. Get rid of it like it's like they say it's burning a hole in your pocket, only for the kingdom, like God hasn't given it to you to bury. He's given it to you to use. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of If That Makes Sense. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we'd be so glad if you shared it where you share things you care about with the people you care about. And remember that Family Life has other original podcasts, including but not limited to Therese Talk, conversations with great guests hosted by Family Life Morning's co-host, Therese Main. You can check those out wherever you get your podcasts or at fln.org slash podcast. Thank you so much again, and we hope you join us for the next one.